is first I'd like to encourage those that were baptized young and perhaps you're adults now to be baptized again. I was baptized twice, uh, but I probably needed it. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Lift your hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much today for your presence, for your love and your grace. We appreciate you so much. You are so awesome and you are our everything. We pray that your word, God, would enter our hearts and bring fruit in our lives. Let us have ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Bless the pastor and give him strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, um, have any of you ever seen these games uh, that they're called um, Spot the Difference? Spot the difference. My boys love these. So it's basically what it is. It's two side-by-side images that look almost identical, but you have to figure out what the differences are. So in this one, you know, there's a big ship over in the left corner, a yacht, but there's not one here, you know. Uh, There's like a little dinghy behind this boat, but there's not. Is it a dinghy or whatever that is? There's a little boat over there that's not over here. And there are all these little differences. My boys love this game, these like little word puzzles. And, and, and if we left this up through the uh, sermon, I know I'd have your attention. You'd be like r- noting all of them. Um, but this got me thinking this week, and I want to I ask, I want to start with a challenging question, uh, a, 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 a question that I think is, has been on my heart this week, and I, and I want to share it with you. And the question is this, what is the difference in terms of the way we live our lives, what is the difference in the daily life of a person of faith versus a person that does not have faith? What is the difference between a person who has faith in God and a person that doesn't have faith in God? And last Sunday, we were in our our 301 class, and we had a a short conversation about this issue. Um, And there were there was a conversation that just triggered a sort of an internal struggle within me that kind of permeated my thoughts and my prayers throughout this week. And uh, what happened was a couple people that went through this, they got, we do this spiritual gifts inventory. So you kind of fill out all these questions and then at the end of it, you add up your numbers and then you kind of see what are the gifts that God has uniquely blessed you with. You kind of discern and discover what those gifts are and that helps you to to make some choices about how you want to serve and where you best serve um, God's people. And a couple of people in the class scored high on what's called the gift of faith. And uh, the gift of faith means that basically these people often find themselves with a confidence and an assurance and a trust that God will see them through seemingly impossible situations. These are people who In their heart of hearts, there's a trust, there's a belief, there's a confidence that God is going to help them overcome insurmountable odds and do what God can do. Um, And that's beyond what they can do on their own. And the reason that that this caused a struggle for me is that me personally, I'm I'm going to get into oversharing mode again, um, but I personally struggle with this tension. I struggle with, the, with, with exercising faith on a daily basis. I struggle with the challenge of saying, okay, look, I know that my ability ends here, but God's ability doesn't end. And that if I can, through faith, 
reach out to God, I can expect and anticipate and have confidence and assurance that God is going to do things that I can't do. And that's a, that's a, it may be my, my legal training, but I like to do risk analysis. I like to say, all right, here's my capacity. Here's my level of intelligence. Here's my strength. Here's, here are the things that I think I can control. Now, if I step out and venture X or Y, and there are elements to that that I can't control, can I have confidence that I will actually achieve what it is that I'm setting out to achieve? Um, but I think, and that's good, it's important that we're not reckless, it's important the Bible says that we count the cost, but there has to be a moment in our lives as people of faith where we say, this is the end of my ability, but my ability can break, I can break past that if God is leading me and God is calling me to do something. There's a moment where you just step out and say, God, I have to trust you to do some things that I can't do. I have to try, I have to give my abilities, my strength, make my best efforts. But there's got to be a moment where you say, God can do above and beyond what we ask or think through the power that is in us, through the power of his Holy Spirit. He can take us farther than we think we can go. And, and last week on our drive home, Rebecca and I, uh, after, after church, we were driving home. And I said to her, because this, is, this was the issue, I'd, I'd started struggling with it right in the 301 class. I turned to her and I said, babe, what do you think my capacity is as a pastor? What do you think my capacity is? Given my, my skills, my, my degree of intelligence, my personality, my limited joke-telling abilities, my tendency to overshare, given all of that, uh, what is my capacity as a pastor? And my wife is, of course, blinded by her love for me. Um, or maybe she just wanted to get home and, and get a nap. But she says, you know, she's, her answer was so sweet and so totally and completely untrue. She said, uh, Brent, you know, you don't have a capacity. You have unlimited capacity. And so, of course, I, yeah, thank, oh, thank you, Tina. <laughs> so I stopped. I got her some Ben and Jerry's ice cream right then. I'm like, babe. Um, but the truth is, as an aside, wives, you know, a little, throw us, you, you throw your man a little crumb like that every once in a while. We are very simple creatures. We will eat that up. Um, it doesn't take much. Um, the truth is, as a husband, I'm grateful for her saying that or, you know, believing that or pretending to believe that. But in, in reality, she knows and I know and you know that in my own strength and in your own strength, we have limited ability. We have limited capacity. We have real limitations. Um, this may come as a shock to you, but it's unlikely that I'm going to be drafted into the NBA. It's probably not going to happen. There are certain limitations. Um, I probably won't be a linebacker for the St. Louis Rams. Given my, my, my uh, illustrious little league career where I never actually touched the ball in two years, Matt Carpenter probably won't be asking me for batting tips because we all have limited abilities. But here's the challenge that, that I think God spoke into my heart today through, or this week through his word. And it's very simple. It may be overly simple. So I may just be preaching this to myself this Sunday and you guys are going, dude, we totally already know that. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and preach to myself. And uh, here's what I think God challenged me with this week. Simple. Okay. 
Stop putting your faith in your own abilities and start putting your faith in me. Very simple, right? Stop putting your faith in your own abilities and start putting your faith in me. For many of you, that's hard to do because in your own abilities, you know, you're reasonably competent at certain things. And you can get a reasonable, you can do a reasonably decent job at a few things, right? And so you can tend to not put your faith in God because you're getting by without it. But God did not call us to do reasonably competent things. God called us, I believe, to do great things for his kingdom. He called us to transform this world by the power of his Holy Spirit. He called us to be disciple makers. He called us to reach out into the world and preach his gospel to every creature. He called us to do things that were greater than he did. And we can't do that on our own. I want to challenge you today uh, with this with this sermon to not focus on what you can and cannot do, not focus on what you are and are not capable of, but start to see yourself in terms of God's capacity. Start to see yourself expanding your capacity in light of your connection to God through the conduit of faith. Your relationship, you may say, is not going well. Things are messed up, and you don't know in yourself how you can resolve them, how you can fix them. Your job situation or your financial situation may be just like, you know, you've got debt, you've got bills coming in, the job isn't going well, things are not going great, and you're in your own mind, you're saying, I don't know how I can resolve this, right? Maybe some of you are looking back and you've got grown kids and they've gone into uh, a life and, and are living in a way that you don't understand or agree with. And you're going, look, I've done everything I can do. I, I don't know what else I can do. I'm, I wish that there was something I could do to change this, but I, in my own heart, I cannot do this. And some of you are in college and you're looking at the job market and you're going, you know what, this looks bleak. And I've got this degree, and I can't imagine how this is all going to work out. And so you're sort of trapped by worry and fear. I want to challenge you today that we worship a God who can do the impossible. We worship a God who says, it's not by your power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. A God that says, in Christ all things are possible. We worship a, a, a savior who says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it will be done. So there are some massive major claims that are being made in terms of what is accessible to people of faith when you are exercising faith in God. God's capacity becomes your capacity, his strength, your strength, his joy, your joy, his peace, your peace through the conduit of faith. Amen? So we're going to talk about faith today. Did you, have you got that already? Okay. Um, I want to read you. We're going we're gonna to dive into the book of Acts. We're going to do um, uh, read through the chapter, uh, 27th chapter of Acts. And before we jump into it, I'll just set it up. In, in Acts 27, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had been spreading the gospel all around the world. He had been thousands and thousands of miles. He had been traveling uh, around the, the world to spread the gospel. And like like sparks that, you know, shoot off from a fire, 
the, the, the glory of God's uh, Christ's resurrection shot sparks into all different areas, and little gospel communities were popping up all around the world. And this is within years of, of Christ's death and burial and resurrection. And Paul was one of the apostles who was, go- who was going out and, um, and preaching the gospel message. And the gospel message was simple. We're going to get into it next Sunday. Very, very simple. A Messiah has come. He lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, and, he's, and, and, and he did that to make, to, make, to make it so that you can have access to the Father through his sacrifice. That's the whole Christian message, and that was spreading like wildfire. And what was happening is that men, women, uh, slaves, free, Jew, Greek, started realizing that they're not just subjects of Caesar. According to this gospel, they're children of the living God. And this sort of changes the dynamic for them, right? So the people that were um, in charge of the status quo, the religious and political elites of the day, they were not happy about the spread of this gospel. It was not, it was not helpful to them because people were becoming liberated by this truth, and that was upsetting the balance. So they arrested Paul. They put him in shackles. They loaded him on a boat from Caesarea in Israel to be transported all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to Rome, Italy, so that he could stand trial before Caesar. So I've got a Google map for you just to give you an idea of where we're going. Now, they didn't have a a boat uh, option, so um, I just decided to take the the plane option for us. Um, And we can't apparently fly out of Caesarea. We have to fly out of Tel Aviv, but that's close enough. So so this this is... the area that we're going to be talking about today. Paul is getting on a boat right over there in Caesarea, and he's going to end up, well, we'll see if he's going to end up over in Rome, okay? I don't want to give a spoiler alert. Thank you, Jenna. Um, somewhere in the, in the range of 3,500 miles if you're hugging the coast and doing all the things that they did in the boat. Anyway, a very, very long way. So right before the, the as the boat is pushing off, and this is, a, this is a large boat. There's 276 people on this boat, so it's a large it's a large uh, vessel. As they get ready to take off, uh, a fierce storm begins to brew, and it threatens the voyage. The wind is sweeping down from the land. The waves are lapping precipitously over the bow. There's darkness. There's rain. Uh, it's coming down, and we start in Acts uh, 27, verse 9. It says, much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement, in other words, it was late in the season. It was probably October in the year AD 59. Uh, it was getting cold, and, and the, the winds were getting uh, choppy, and the sea was getting dangerous. So Paul warned them. He said, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. That's not a good uh, prediction for the voyage. We've got the, a man of God, an apostle of God, a, a, a voice piece of God saying, guys, Let's, let's go ahead and throw anchor here because this is not going to go well. Men, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. But the centurion, the guy in charge of all of the, the people on the boat, and there were several um, uh, prisoners on the boat that were heading for um, trial. The centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Now, here's where we get our first clue as to where this story is going. Paul is, a, is, is an apostle of God. He's divinely anointed to preach the gospel. He's uniquely appointed as God's mouthpiece, and he's saying, don't do it. Don't do this. 
But the centurion is not listening to Paul. The centurion is going to listen to the pilot, all right? And the pilot is listening to the owner of the ship. Who is the owner listening to? The owner is listening to the fact that he's got some money wrapped up in this situation. It's the end of the season, and he wants to get this ship to Rome to collect his paycheck from Caesar. So the owner is listening to his own self-interest. The owner is saying, I want to turn a profit here. I know there's a storm. It's late in the season, but we can make it. Let's push on. The pilot says, yes, sir. The centurion says, yes, sir. So the question I want to ask you and the statement I want to give you is whose voice are you listening to? Because the voice you listen to will dictate the outcome of your journey. We are all listening to voices in our lives every step of the way. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What decision are we going to make? What choices are we going to make? And we all have different people speaking into our lives, and we're speaking into our own lives. And the choice, the voice that you listen to will dictate the outcome of your journey. When Rebecca and I are traveling on a journey, we have the little Siri things on our phones. And sometimes we'll plug in the location in the GPS, and Siri will say to go left. And Rebecca will say to go right, and I will say, let's go straight. And the voice that we listen to will dictate the outcome of our journey. And Rebecca and I, fortunately, enjoy spending time together in the car because sometimes our journeys are long. Um, so whose voice in your life are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of your own desires and self-interests? Are you listening to the voice of God? What is the compass by which we make decisions in our life? That will determine the outcome. The leaders of the ship are listening to uh, the, the conceit of self-interest, and this is what happens. Next verse, 17, 14 through 15. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So, this is, the, this is the verse. We gave way to it and were driven along. We gave way to it and we were driven along. This week I saw a short documentary about a comedian, a guy named Mitch Hedberg. Hedberg got his big break when he appeared on David Letterman back in 1996. Uh, and then his star began to rise. He signed a half million dollar deal with Fox for a television sitcom. His comedy was based on sort of surreal one-liners and, and non-sequiturs. Um, I've got a couple of them for you here. I'll try to give them to you. This may not go very well. But um, he would say things like, the depressing thing about tennis is I'll never be as good as a wall. It, it was funny. It was way funnier when he said it. Uh, way funnier. Um, he said, I haven't slept for 10 days because that would be too long. But anyway, anyway, it was, it was funny when he said, okay, moving on. Scratch that. Uh, Time Magazine dubbed him the next Seinfeld. He developed a devoted following among other comedians like George Carlin, Dave Chappelle, uh, Artie Lang, Louis Black. But early in his career, here's what happened. He early in his career, Hedberg was sort of dabbling in light drug use, and he came to believe the voice that said that the drugs were part and parcel of his creative process. 
He came to believe that he needed the drugs in order to write the, the funny jokes that were funny when he said them, not when I say them. He, s- he came to believe that, that he needed those, that th- those drugs to create, you know, uh, to for his creativity. And so there was a, a lot of pressure on him, especially as his career rose, there was greater and greater pressure on him to generate funny material. And so he was, he, he gave way and he was driven along by the drug use and by the voice that just said, you've got to do this to make it. On March 17, 2005, he appeared on the Howard Stern Show, and when the conversation turned to his well-known drug use, because it was pretty well-known in that, those circles that, that he used drugs, here's what he said. He said, well, you know, I got the drugs under control now. You know, I just use it for the creative side of it. That's what he said on March 17, 2005. Twelve days later, Hedberg was found dead in his hotel room. The New Jersey Medical Examiner's Office reported that the official cause of death was multiple drug toxicity in the form of cocaine and heroin. So the life of this warm, funny, kind, talented young man was cut short because like the passengers in the ship on the way to Rome, he gave way and was driven along by forces outside of himself. He wasn't anchored to a clear, precise anchor. He wasn't anchored to any rock in his life, he, was, he gave way and was driven along, and eventually the winds and the rains overcame him. What is driving you along today? Are you being driven along by fear? Are you being driven along by shame, by guilt, by uncertainty? Are you being driven along by, by greed or anger or by things that happened in your past? What are the winds and the waves in your life that are moving you along? Because Here's what God is calling people of faith to be. He's calling us to not be driven along by the winds and waves of forces outside of our control. He doesn't want us to be battered about by the storms of life. He doesn't call us to be conformed to this world. He calls us to be transformed, the scripture says, by the renewing of our minds. Not to be driven but to drive. He calls us, he's, and that's point number two, don't be conformed, be transformed. And, and not only be transformed, but to be transformative. This is what he's really calling us to do, to, to not be uh, like, like putty. You know, my, my boys love the silly putty, and they make little things. They're, only, they're little kids, but they can form that, the, that silly putty into little objects, you know. Most of the objects look, you know, they may come in, it's like, this is an er earthworm. And the next one looks exactly the same. This is a snake. And then this is a shoelace. And this is a piece of spaghetti. So they're they're all kind of the same. But God is, is saying, don't be conformed by the forces in life. Uh, the issues that, that you may face, don't be conformed by those. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ because when you are transformed, then you become transformative. Then the circumstances don't dictate what's going to happen to you. You start making, you start dictating what's happening in the circumstances. You start making changes in lives that are around you instead of everybody making changes on you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Be transformed by God and then be transformative in your community. He said, Jesus said he wants to bring 
he prays that, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's, God's will in heaven has not, is not always happening here on earth. There's still bigotry here. There's still sickness here. There's still racism here. There's still sickness. There's poverty. There, there's, there's violence. There's stuff going on here that's not, not like the kingdom of God, not like the kingdom of heaven. And so he's calling us to step into that and to transform that. Okay, next verse, 27, 16 to 17. It says, as we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. That is a weird line. They passed ropes under the ship to hold it together. I am no Popeye, but if I'm ever on a ship and they start saying, hey, would you help us put these ropes under the boat to hold it together? I'm thinking this isn't good, right? This is not going the way it's supposed to go. They're desperately at this point just trying to patch things up and pull it together and rope it off. I was reading, when I was reading this passage, I was thinking of uh, the, the uh, 86 red Subaru that I used to own in Los Angeles that I bought for $800 from a guy who actually, turns out, didn't formally technically own it but anyway um sadly that that car has gone on to be with the lord and so uh the the thing that 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 car was held together with chewing gum and 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 haywire i mean it was like this thing was i remember driving west on los Feliz one morning and um there were massive plumes of black smoke coming out of the car and i don't mean out of the tailpipe i mean out of the the hood but i was i would try to act like what? What smoke, you know? And just keep driving, and there was a crack in the engine or something, and oil was dripping on it, and it was making... And I remember vaguely through the thick haze behind me seeing red and blue lights, and um, so I pulled over. Uh, Several of my sermons lately have had to do with red and blue lights behind me, but I don't get pulled over that much. But anyway, this is many years ago, under the blood. And so I pull over... And these two officers get out. Smoke is billowing out of the car. They come up, and they're standing, you know, far away from the door. They said, sir, can you please turn the vehicle off? I said, it's off. <laughs> you know, they, they were gasping. They were about to die from smoke inhalation. They said, all right, just, just get this thing off the road. Go fix this. Go do something. Go do something with this car. Get it fixed. And um, that was my technique with officers for the next six months. But anyway, sometimes we're just patching stuff together, right? Sometimes we're just barely strapping things together. We're trying to make a little fix here. We're tinkering with something there. We're trying to just barely patch something together so that it works, so that we can get by. And that is not the life that God has for you. He does not have for you a life where you're barely plugging holes, desperately trying to keep your head above water. That's not the life of a person of faith. That's not the life that he has for you. I want to challenge you with that because I I honestly believe that. I honestly believe that when you follow God with your heart, soul, mind, and body, it's not that your life is peachy cream, right? But it's that there's there's a, a confidence, there's a constancy, there's an assurance, there's a peace beneath the struggles that keeps you on track. And he wants that for you. Next verse, it says, We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. 
On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now they're just chucking stuff overboard, precious cargo that they needed. They're throwing it overboard to keep the thing afloat, and now they're throwing the ship's tackle overboard, which they need to steer the ship, which they need to navigate the ship. They're just, whatever they can do, they're just chucking it overboard. And we know this in our own lives, and, and we've seen this in the lives of others, people just tossing away relationships, just, just jettisoning friendships, opportunities getting thrown overboard, just what, you know, desperate in this storm trying to get by. And in doing so, we're, we're throwing away precious opportunities and precious things in our life that we really shouldn't let go. And we're, now we're, now we're going to resent and regret that. That's what's happening on this ship. Next verse says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This journey had gotten to such a point where they just gave up. There was just no hope of this happening, uh, 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 of being saved anymore. They, lo- they were lost in a world of darkness and despair without hope without direction. They couldn't see the stars. They couldn't see the sun to navigate. They were covered in thick clouds. They were just adrift. And some of you have probably gotten to this point, and some of you may be in this point today, or, or, or at least you know somebody who is, where you're, you were hanging on by a thread, and now the thread is gone. And you can't see light above. You can't see where you're going. The, sh- the storm has become so overwhelming that you can't even begin to imagine which direction to go to get out of it. You're just floating without any clarity, without any direction, and you've given up hope. You're just waiting for it to end. Sometimes the truth is that sometimes in our lives, God will not pull us out of a storm until he knows that we know that we can't get out of it on our own. Sometimes we have to learn through the storm to rely on God. Sometimes it takes a storm for us to say, oh, I can't navigate successfully through life on my own. I need somebody greater than me to take me where I need to be. That has been my experience in life is that there came a point in my life where it became clear to me that the path that I was choosing, the way that I was going, was not going to work. And God used that moment to reach down, regenerate my heart, pull me into faith, and bring me on a path with him. Acts 27, 21 says, After they had gone a long time without food, they had reached that despairing point, they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, thanks, Paul. Men, you should have taken my advice. Paul is like keeping it real, man. Paul's like, pilot, uh, owner, centurion, remember that little confab we had back in Caesarea when I was saying we should probably stay here, and you guys were like, no, we're good to go. Remember that? Yeah. I was right, by the way. You should have listened to me. You should have taken my advice uh, not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and this loss. And here's 
what I really love about the gospel. Next verse. But now, you already messed up. You should have taken my advice. That's the past. But now, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. We're going to hit the reset button. But now, things are about to change. But now, we're going to start focusing our attention on God, and he's going to rescue us. Good news and bad news. The yacht is probably not going to make it, but we're going to get through. Point three, faith forgets the past, seizes the future, and pulls it into the present. It forgets the past, seizes the future, and pulls it into the future. Here's how Charles Spurgeon says it. He says it better, but it's kind of harder to understand. Faith obliterates time, annihilates distance, and brings future things at once into its possession. In other words, God can forgive, redeem, clear the past out of the way, start here, and move forward into a bright future that he has for you. He can take our past and use it for his purpose. He can take our mistakes and use it for his mission. He can take our guilt and use it for his glory. That was for all you alliteration people out there that love that kind of thing. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, and I love this passage, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting, he said, what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That captures everything about this gospel life. Forgetting what is behind, like the song says, your past is over. But now God is going to see you through. We may lose the boat. There may be some collateral damage from some decisions that we made in the past. We're going to live with that, okay? But now we're starting on a new future. And how did he know this? Next verse says, Last night an angel of, of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Paul is listening to the voice of God. And the voice of God is saying, keep up your courage. Keep up your courage. Have faith in me. I will see you through. And that's the message I want to drive home today. Keep up your courage, men. Keep up your courage, women. Keep up your courage, kids, because God is going to see us through. Through faith in him, we will have a different future than the future that we would have if we just acted upon our own accord and we just used our own strength and our own ability. He's got something better and more powerful for you than you could ever imagine and that you could ever build for yourself. I believe that with all of my heart. God doesn't want you living in fear and in, in worry and in anxiety and dread. He wants you to live a life of power and purpose and promise. 
in the next few verses, we find out that everything happened exactly as Paul said. The ship was broken to pieces on a reef, but everyone on board made it to the land. They were bruised, they were beaten, they were bleeding, but they were alive. God saw them through the storm, even the ones who were responsible for creating the situation in the first place. And sometimes that's what we struggle with. We say, you know what, I just made too many bad decisions. There's no way that God's going to pull me out. I got myself into this mess, and I don't know how to get myself out. That's okay. You got yourself into this mess. God can get you out. He can bring you forward. And, and, and so I come back to answer the question that we asked at the beginning. What does it mean to be a person of faith? Does it mean that storms won't come? Does it mean that there'll be, you know, smooth sailing and blue skies? Of course not. It just means that when the storm, storms come, and they will, you don't have to give way and be driven along by the circumstances of your life. You can be anchored to the rock of our salvation. You don't have to try to patch up and plug up all of the holes in the creaking vessel, you can be made whole by the redemptive grace of our loving Savior. You don't have to throw precious things overboard, throw relationships overboard. You can be steadied by the hand of our Redeemer. And when the thick, dark clouds loom overhead, you can be guided by the inner light of God's love that whispers to you, stop putting your faith in your own abilities. Put your faith in me. I will see you through the storm. And that, I think, is the difference between a person of faith and a person without faith. A person without faith believes they are powerless in the face of impossible odds. A person with faith believes that nothing is impossible with God. We are called to pray big prayers. We are called to cast big visions. We are called to do big things, to dream big dreams. Why? Because we serve a big God. We serve a God who is willing and able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Amen? I want to just challenge you this week to start when, when you're facing these issues, when you're facing problems in your own life and you know that you can't unscramble that egg, unscramble that omelet or whatever that phrase is. <laughs> uh, just know that 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 God can see you through and that God will see you through. Even if we have to lose the boat, don't put your faith in the boat. Put your faith in the God who created it all. He will see you through to the end. That is his promise. I just preached to myself today. Did that hit home for anybody else? Good. Good. All right, let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for your love. God, we ask that you would open up our hearts in faith. Teach us, Lord, to trust in you. Teach us to have confidence in you. Teach us to go through life with an assurance that you're on our side, that you're not just near us, but you're with us and you're in us through your Holy Spirit. We ask, God, that you would lead us in our struggles at work and our challenges at work and in our homes and in our relationships and at our schools. We just ask that you would permeate our heart 
and mine as we move towards our calling in you, as we start to live out, Lord, what it is that you would have us do and, and you would have us be. Help us to, to know who you are and to know who we are in you, Lord. We pray that you give us strength today and give us faith in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.